Good afternoon, brethren. Glad to see you here. And I'm glad that a, a few of you are here. <laughs> we have about 50 people missing, as Mr. Uh, League pointed out. And uh, I guess a lot of them went home. You know, I know that my secretary, Monica, went back to uh, Louisiana and Mr. and Mrs. Lara Prejean and a whole bunch of people went to see their home folks. So uh, just as chickens are left here. <laughs> anyway, we're glad to have you here and very glad for the blessings God has given us here already. Appreciate Mrs. Davis' song. It's a very beautiful song. And I especially appreciate it. I know she will, too, put a little more emphasis on Mr. Pyle. We're so glad to have him here. We thought... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he might be goner, and I'm sure he did too, and here he is up preaching. So that's a minor miracle, and uh, may turn out to be a major miracle if he completely healed and keeps on going after having four-stage cancer and diagnosed as such by cancer experts. So it's not some, uh, some guesswork. It looks like God is intervening, as he does in all of our lives from time to time. But this is indeed remarkable to have him back here preaching so soon. So let's be very thankful. The song leader, Mr. League, he always gets up here and he says, something reminds me of a joke. Have you noticed that? Something always reminds him of a joke. So it's really good. I think he has the best humor of anyone I've seen in our whole church. He has all these stories he can tell better than anyone. But anyway, he was talking about Thanksgiving And Mr. Pyle was talking about Thanksgiving and everyone, so I guess it's not wrong. I'm going to keep on talking about Thanksgiving. I didn't know the others would all do that. But brethren, this is Thanksgiving weekend, and we do have an awful lot to be thankful for, and we should really appreciate it. We are living in what is still the richest and probably the safest, or certainly one of the safest nations on the face of the earth, and we are very, very blessed in that way. And certainly the many of our brethren and the other nations of Western Europe and Canada and Australia and New Zealand are also blessed. And we have much, much to be thankful for. We know that's going to change. And it is changing. But for the time being, we should give God thanks. God is very merciful. When I was in college, Mr. Armstrong used to say this whole thing could wind up in five or ten years. And here we are about 50 years later. In a way, 60 years later, we're still here. And God is very patient. We still have a lot of nice people around this city, and they're not all into homosexuality or murder or depravity and all over our nation. And God is allowing people to learn the lessons, or at least to write the lessons, of human suffering, of human disobedience before he intervenes in a powerful way. So we can watch that aspect of prophecy as well as even the other things and give us an idea about how much more time we have to go before the Great Tribulation. And we should watch those things as well. We know that God could intervene powerfully and bless the work with great miracles. And I think he's going to do that. I'm quite sure he will. But I was telling our Council of Elders recently in our meeting, you know, if God had given us, I remember back at the time of Dick Armstrong's death, Back in 1958, think how long that was ago, over over uh, 50 years ago, about 52 years ago, he died. And I was thinking that God would heal him and raise him from the dead and even join Mr. Armstrong in putting my hands on Dick and, and asking God to do that. But if God in that 
Thornhill Dillon Mortuary, or what it was called, would have raised him right off that slab, that would have been broadcast all over the world and probably would have brought premature persecution on the church. We didn't need to be known that well yet. It wasn't God's time. God is the master of timing. And so if he gives us too many outstanding miracles, and he's going to heal. Don't think he won't heal. He is healing. Undoubtedly, Mr. Pyle, he is healing and has healed a number that all of us have prayed for, and we've seen it. But if we had too many just miracle after miracle, it could bring premature persecution on the work. And so we can even recognize God's hand in that in a right way and understand that God does have a purpose in all these things. So we want to be grateful. Brethren, several years ago, the church of God was really struck and Satan intervened after Mr. Armstrong's death and guide wicked and ungodly men to try to destroy everything that Christ had built through Mr. Armstrong. They've taken down all the paintings he had. They've taken down the other things he put up all over the campus. They really tried to blot out his name. And they are wicked men. And God will deal with them. Already has dealt with the main leader in an unusual way I won't describe. Most of you know about that. But at any rate, he is not dead. God is alive and he's going to take care of all these things. But God allowed the church to be scattered all over. And many of you are scattered. And yet we now know that we can be thankful that God has revived the work and we can be part of a church of God because somewhere on this earth, God indicates that at the time of the end, there would be a church of God. And he describes it in Revelation 3 and Revelation 12 and quite a number of other places. There will be a church of God teaching the commandments of God and doing God's work. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world to all nations. And then the end will come. And in his mercy, God has allowed us to revive that work. And I didn't revive it personally. I've had lots of very, very fine men helping me, men and women. And my wife has helped me from the very beginning. And I thank God for that. She wasn't bashful about stepping out. And she's had a great deal of courage. I told her, honey, we may have to do without salary for weeks or months, which we did. We may have to move in not a mobile home, but a small trailer house, kind of a camper, a camper. And we were willing to do that and talked about it. I meant it. And she knew I meant it. But we had to start all over. And yet God has blessed us to where now we have over 8,000 people attending the Feast of Tabernacles and we're growing 8 to 10% in attendance all over the world. Right now, we're getting anywhere from four to 6,000 television responses almost every week. And we're getting occasionally responses even over 6,000. We've had several of those. And now we're starting, as many of you know, day after tomorrow. Mark this on your calendar if you haven't done so. And please pray about it. God willing, unless something big bad happens, we should ask God's protection Day A week from tomorrow, we're starting on the Discovery Channel, which is the most prestigious pre- uh, television channel or station we've ever gone on, probably. And that will greatly increase our impact on the world. So we thank God for that. We also have a brand new station in, in Phoenix, Arizona, which is doing well. And a Better Time One Word Network, which is doing very well. And we're beginning to gear up to have a far greater impact, not in the next several years, but in the next several months. So things are moving. We even have an opportunity to go on another great big station that Mr. 
Ames and I and others have discussed recently. I'm not going to talk about that until we know what we're going to do for sure. But it does look like a great big door if we can afford it. And we want to check it out even more to be sure that it is God's will that we do that at this time. But things seem to be moving in a remarkable way. At the end of this age, God is going to move and he is going to use his true servants to preach about a coming world government. All over this world, the nations are all upset. People are coming apart. People in Ireland are upset because their goodies are being taken away. Their health plans and their jobs are, many of their jobs are gone. And the government subsidies are being taken away. The police and the fire and the teachers are being cut back. They're going broke. Portugal is going to have to be bailed out apparently in a few weeks. Greece has already been bailed out and the whole European Union over there is in trouble. And they may have to come apart and restart themselves on a different foundation. Some newspaper articles have even mentioned the word ten. Ten nations. That's interesting because the Bible talks about ten nations, of course, in Revelation 17. Eventually there will be ten nations or groups of nations under ten kings or ten leaders. We do know that. But we can be thankful that God helps us understand, really understand, why we're here where we're going and how to get there beyond any other people on the face of the earth. And we can be very, very grateful for that. And I hope that you are. God talks about the work that will be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This is that work. And whether I live on or not, Mr. Ames will take over. Others are coming along to help lead this work, like Mr. Dr. Winnell, Mr. Weston up in Canada, and other very outstanding men. And they will take over this work and carry it right on. It is not the work of Meredith. It is not the work of Ames. It is the work of Almighty God. And God will take it. This is the appointed time, brethren, for us to get involved This is the appointed time to be inspired and to realize the great God of creation has given us an opportunity to help finish his work at the end of an age. And as we see these nations in Europe beginning to get together, as we see the United States and the British descended peoples beginning to be brought down, and we preach that, as you know, for about 60 years, that God would break the pride of our power. And now we're coming down economically. Our goodies are going to be taken away too. And our students over here will begin to riots. We will have student riots, job riots. We will have food riots as people begin to give up food. We will have all kinds of things like that. And we've got to fix our mind on God to go through those things. And at the same time, like the Apostle Paul said, even when he was suffering and in prison, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. (laughs) So we are at a time of thanksgiving, knowing those things are ahead. And yet we're the only ones on earth to understand why are these things starting to happen? And what is the real end? What is the outcome? We know that other people are going to be really upset. They're going to be shattered. They won't understand. But we do have that assurance and we do understand. So we have much to be thankful for if we can always back off. And pray to God and continue to read the Bible, drink into this book and see the mind of God and see the big picture. Then we will always have that positive attitude. And Mr. Pyle, of course, talks about that. That's so important that we learn to have that. And one way we will have that is to always see the big picture. I'd like to turn now to Philippians chapter 4 in your Bible. 
And I'm going to read some of the things he read here because I, I don't think I need to give it up. It's still here or there. But anyway, I want to turn to Philippians chapter 4 and back in verse 4. I'm going back a little earlier. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Who was this man? Here was a man who had suffered, who had been beaten, I think five times, he said, by the Jews, 39 lashes, who had been beaten innumerable times by the Gentiles, whose black back was having blood run down it over and over, who was suffering and groaning in pain, who had had various ailments, who had floated a day and a night in the deep, hanging onto some plank out in the Mediterranean Sea or somewhere, probably looking up, said, God, you're up there and I'm down here. You know what's best? Take care of me. Save me if it's your will. And God always did up to that point. And now he was a civil prisoner with a ball and chain, as you know. And, of course, he describes remembering his chain. He was heading a ball and chain between his ankles as a prisoner. This man in that condition said, rejoice in the Lord always. We are to be thankful. And yet we're to be thankful, connected with God and his purpose. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness, or it's better translated, your graciousness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And boy, now than ever, he's at hand. He was at hand in Paul's day. He helped Paul, delivered him again and again. So he was at hand in that way. But his second coming, of course, is much more at hand now. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be all stressed. Why is all this happening? What's going on? I can't be happy. I can't trust God. I can't be thankful. Yes, at Thanksgiving time and all the time, we of all people ought to be very, very thankful to understand the purpose of our lives, the real meaning of our lives, why we're here and what it's all about. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, constantly giving God thanks. Let your requests be made known to God. Constantly pray to God in faith and with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And then, as we read earlier, Mr. Pyle did, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, meditate on these things. Think on the good things, the wonderful things. And in the trials ahead, think on the things you've had all your life. And I can think back on the life that I've had growing up for 19 years in a very stable home in Joplin, Missouri, in the American Midwest. I never, ever heard my parents mention the word divorce as something that might happen between them. And we had trials and tests and we went through the Depression and my dad lost some jobs, but we never did without a food. We never missed a meal. And he would always get another job. And then the Second World War came. And we had to collect tinfoil and, and we, we, we saved up these old pieces of metal and turned them in. They had scrap drives to help the troops and all that kind of thing. But we knew we would win. And God gave us that national confidence and that personal confidence back there. So we do need to meditate on those things to help us go through the trials ahead. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, these do. Paul radiated faith and confidence, even in jail, even in threat of his life. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. So we've got to be thankful and radiate thankfulness and radiate faith. 
in the days ahead. And we ought to think about that even today in relationship with thanksgiving. Let's turn back to chapter 2 now, brethren. Philippians chapter 2, a very, very famous passage, I'm sure, to all of us, beginning in verse 5. Paul was inspired to tell us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the very mind of Christ. What did Christ think about? Did he go around getting his feelings hurt and getting mad at every one of the individual Pharisees or Sadducees who looked down on him or made fun of him or challenged him or threatened him? He didn't have time to bother with that. You could tell that. His mind was on those things above, not on things on the world. He had come from God and he was going back to God and he's kept his mind on the big picture. He had been with God in magnificence. His face shone like the sun. He's the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. God used Christ in creating this earth and the entire universe. He had magnificent glory. And though the Bible says here, he emptied himself. He gave that all up. Why? Because of total outflowing concern. The Logos, as Christ was then, the spokesman, And God the Father, as he is now called, the great God, had no doubt talked and planned together. Maybe for centuries, they decided to make man in their image to become full sons of God. And so Christ was willing to humble himself and be the one to come down here on this earth in the human flesh as the Lamb of God. And so he emptied himself and he took on himself the form of man And he was willing then to die. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This expression up here, I think I've explained to you, it says in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. Perhaps your Bible will have some little printed note in there. The Greek scholars all acknowledge the Greek word here in this particular case is uh, to empty himself. That's what it actually means. And uh, he he did do that and came into the human flesh to be able to die. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those things in heaven, those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Eventually, every human being who lives... And there will be some who will die. Some will go into the lake of fire. He indicates that. He doesn't say everybody will be saved. I think the vast majority will be saved. But some will not. They'll say, I'm going to do it my way. Remember old Frank Sinatra said, I'll do it my way. (laughs) I did it my way. Well, most of us know where that way leads. We're not to do it our way. We're to learn to do it God's way. And if people really surrender to their creator... To the God that gives them life and breath, he will give them eternal life in his kingdom. But they've got to surrender to him, to Jesus Christ, as Lord and Master. And let him live his life in them and rule their lives. Then he will give them everything. And potentially, as we know, even the whole universe will be co-heirs with Christ of this earth and even the entire universe. That's part of the big picture. 
But we're to have that kind of mind to see the big picture of everything out there that God has in mind. And when we learn to see that big picture and understand the whole purpose of the Creator, then we can have peace of mind and we can have thankfulness. The people out in these churches here around the country and around this city too, just love the Lord, give your life to Jesus. They don't even know what that means. They will not obey God's commandments. Most of them will not keep the Sabbath. They will not do what God says. So they're going to have to be shaken to their very core. And hopefully many of them will repent before the tribulation gets fully underway. And many thousands will repent, we know, during the tribulation and come to God before the day of the Lord and the wrath of God. But we have that opportunity to act now. Now is the appointed time for us to get fully involved. Now is the appointed time for us to do this wonderful work and give thousands of others the knowledge and the understanding and the opportunity that we have had. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 now, brethren. 1 Peter chapter 4. Here Peter writes near the end of the New Testament. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He said, don't think that strange because these things have to happen as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not strange. God predicted in advance there would be terrible trials on God's people. But rejoice. Yes, we are to be thankful. And even if we're tested, if we are some of us persecuted, we can rejoice if we're persecuted for Christ's sake. Because if we go through it for Christ's sake, we're in a sense making points with the God in heaven and God will give us a greater reward. Now that doesn't mean we're supposed to try to bring it on ourselves. But we are to be willing to go through whatever, knowing that God is real. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, because you believe in the true Christ of the Bible, you're willing to believe what he taught. You're willing to keep his commandments. You're ready to surrender and let him live his obedient life in you. Through the Holy Spirit, the same life he did live 1900 years ago, then you are reproached for Christ. Blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. No, don't get involved in sin or, or raw lawlessness. A thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, because you're obeying God, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Even in that, you see, you're to be thankful. Remember how when Paul and Silas, I think it was, were thrown in jail? What were they doing at midnight? They were singing psalms of praise. Right in the jail they started. They didn't have any piano accompaniment. <laughs> they, they knew those Hebrew praises to God. Probably some of the psalms and the melody they knew and they started singing praises to God at midnight. And all of a sudden, the whole jail was shaken and the doors, iron doors creaked open and their chains were broken and they got out, of course, and God took care of them. So God is alive and he watches all our actions. And people who have that kind of faith, they're really going to be blessed as the Apostle Paul was. So be thankful and have that attitude. If you suffer as a Christian, glorify God. For the time has come, Peter writes, for judgment to begin at the house of God. And remember, judgment is not usually meaning 
a passing of a sentence. It can mean that. There are various forms of this word, but it often means a trial, a testing, a testing time. So judgment, a testing time to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You see, brethren, we can't afford to be out on the edge of the church. We can't afford to kind of dancing around on the edge of the cliff all the time. We're to try to be right in the center of where Christ is working. If there is a true church of God on this earth, and there is, and that church is a continuation of the church down through the ages. Mr. Pyle read some from that book uh, of Duggar, and many of us have had that book and read that. And that's uh, Mr. Duggar, you know, was one that worked with Mr. Armstrong, or he worked with him for a while. I met A.F. Duggar, Mr. Duggar's older brother, and had lunch with him one time. I didn't get to meet A.N. Duggar. But they were sort of country folks, in a sense, not educated to the extent Mr. Armstrong was. But they were nice people and meant well, and God did use them in the Sardis era to carry on the work. But this church has come down to us historically. This church has always been right down from Jesus Christ through the men under him. Of course, through the Apostle John and Polycarp and Polycrates and right on down through the men that we read about, of course, in church history. So if judgment begins with the house of God, this true church, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We've got to really obey and try to be right in the middle of God's will. If the righteous is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? We can't afford to be out on the edge. We've got to be right where Christ is working. Therefore, let those who suffer, yes, we do suffer sometimes. Mr. Pyle has gone through suffering. I'm sure his wife has gone through suffering. Have a husband that was about to die. Mr. and Mrs. Apartheid are going through suffering right now. And we should be praying for them. And yet, I know Mrs. Apartheid talked to my wife last night on the phone. I forget who called who. But at any rate, they talk quite a while. And they're good friends. And she's she knows her husband is at least 94 years old. And, of course, all of you realize that God does not keep us alive, all of us, until we're 100 to 110. He doesn't do that. So it's not something strange. It's just something we all have to go through. And here I am, 10 years beyond the three score and 10, and I've tried to help my wife realize that. If anything should happen to me, it's not strange. God does not let all of us live to be 90 or 100 or whatever it is. So we've got to commit our lives into the hands of our Creator in doing good. And while we're here, do the very, very best we can. And yet do it with faith and courage and even rejoicing because we've been called out ahead of time. And as I've said, if I should die, I wouldn't want anyone to say, oh my, how awful. Mr. Meredith was cut off in the middle of life. Well, you know better than that. I told the young people over at the office, it's too late for me to die young. I can't die young anymore. It's too late. And certainly it's too late for Mr. Apartheid. But pray for him because he's been going through suffering. He has to lie there and he can't move. But he said, Rod, it's really frustrating. You know, just he can't he can't do anything. And he's hurting in that way. And we should pray for him and ask God to guide this thing for good in his life. 
And by the way, my wife got an email from my old secretary, my first secretary that Herman Hay and I shared in Pasadena uh, back in 1952 and 3 and 4 and perhaps 1955, several years. Her name was Elva Russell, and now her name is Mrs. Richard Sebiotic. Mr. Sebiotic helped my uncle later, Dr. C. Paul Meredith, write the old 58 Lessons Correspondence Course. And his wife helped him, too, on that, I'm sure. But she said her husband, Richard, is suffering and has had a serious fall. And uh, he's in very, very bad shape and asked me to pray, which I did this morning. But I might mention that to you. He was one who contributed a lot to the work of God with his time, his energy, his talents in those days, in the early days of the work. So we should all be praying. And yet when things like that happen, we pray, but how do we pray? Oh, God, how come this could happen? No, it's not that attitude. It's the attitude we've been very blessed. We're not in some concentration camp being tortured. If some of us die when we're up in our 60s or 70s or 90s or whatever, that is not strange. That is not strange. We can just pray that God helps the person through the trial helps their wife through the trial, heals them and gives them a few more years, if that is best, it may not always be best for any of us, including me. So I'm being very realistic. We should have a positive attitude. My life is God's life. It's not my life. It belongs to God. So I can't say, God, you've got to do this or got to do that. God doesn't got to do anything. You know that. So let's get real, as the kids used to say. But God is a good God. And he's given most of us decade after decade of wonderful, safe, happy, reasonably prosperous lives and helped us to understand our purpose in life and where we're going and how to get there, as I've said. So let all of us commit our souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We have a God who loves us, a God who said back in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and he won't. That doesn't mean he'll make us live forever in the flesh, but he will let us live forever in his kingdom. And that's our goal, not eternal life in the flesh. And I think you understand that. Brethren, in my 61 years in God's work, and I did come to Ambassador College 61 years ago, a couple months ago, and I've been in the work up to my ears since then because we were all very close to Mr. and Mrs. Armstrong on that first Thanksgiving No, I'm going to take it back. The first Thanksgiving, I went with Uncle Paul and his wife down to the beach. That was amazing. We had our first Thanksgiving with a turkey Aunt Ethel had cooked, and they took and had a table right at the beach. But the second Thanksgiving, which had been 60 years ago this month, I was in Mr. Herbert Armstrong's house, and he had a number of us students over there to his house. And he was very close to us, and I was in his home quite a number of times for meals, of course, over the years. We were all one big family back in those days. But there was that family spirit and that sense of joy together, all of us in God's church, to know each other, to understand each other, and to pray for each other. So pray for these people that have these trials, but don't give up if God doesn't let us all live, as I say, uh, forever in this flesh. But in the 61 years I've been in the work, I just wanted to say I have seen over and over that God really does cause all things to work together for good. It doesn't mean it's all good. God may let someone sin. He certainly allows us to sin or make mistakes. 
and there is temporary suffering. But if we love God, as it says, and are called according to his will, then he'll cause it. He will help us learn lessons from that, which are good. And that's another thing I want to bring out in the sermon today. Through these trials and tests, we've got to have the attitude, and I hope you do always. Father, what lesson can we learn from this trial? What lesson can we learn from even some of the terrible situations going on in the world even now? And if this nation begins to suffer food shortages, water shortages, raging fires and storms and earthquakes and hurricanes, which it will far more than have ever been, we've got to again lift up our eyes and know that that means Christ is that much sooner to come back to this earth. Time is getting short. And we can even be thankful there. What lesson can I learn from whatever situation comes my way? And if I've made a mistake, things go wrong and wrong and wrong. Then we need to say, Father, what am I doing wrong? What am I? Not what so-and-so is, but what am I doing wrong? And what lesson can I learn from this? Because God is testing every one of us. God is teaching every one of us and every one of us has to learn the lessons and try to always see the big picture that God in heaven has created men and women in his image. And we can all be thankful he's done that. And of course, Mr. League in his interesting joke, but he made something I I thought of commenting on this anyway. You know, it's a tremendous blessing. And we have, most of us understand that, that God has made us male and female. Think, fellas, if Adam had not ever had a companion, of course, we wouldn't even be here. But if somehow God made just a number of other Adams all over the world and there were no women at all and men just somehow appeared here and there, we'd be frustrated. We'd want to kill each other off probably before too much longer to have companions that are beautiful physically and yet have a different type of of mentality and psyche, psychologically responding to us and being a type of helpful and loving and patient companion. And when we have children to give and give and give and give to take care of them in a way most of us men wouldn't do. And all the other things we share, sharing music together, sharing trips together, sharing our memories together, our, our loves, our lives, our hopes, our dreams together, It's really wonderful that God has made us in his image and that he's made us male and female in his image, both of us. And he's created the family. Thanksgiving is a family time. I'm grateful to have here with me my older son and his family, Michael and Teresa, and uh, their family come up from Florida and they're here for Thanksgiving this year. And some of you have family here and then others have gone home or elsewhere to be with their family. But God created family. And he's going to make all of us part of his family. He has made us in his image, in his form and shape, but he's given us understanding. He's given us creative imagination, a kind of mind that only God has, and where we can learn what is right and what is wrong, and we can resist the wrong and do the right and develop the very mind of God and the character of God so we will work with God and with Christ, his son, who is also God, and perhaps even creating other civilizations on other planets later. God is making a family, and we are going to be glorified sons of God in a few years. No wonder he is teaching us, teaching us, 
rebuking, chastening us, working with us, fashioning us, molding us. He intends to let us learn the lessons we need to learn before he gives us all that power and that glory that the Bible talks about. So even those trials and tests along the way, we've got to learn to think of it in that way and say, well, Father, I guess here's some lessons I need to learn along the way and rejoice in it because if he didn't care, he would just leave us alone. And we would all go to our deaths with no eternal life and no promise and perhaps go to our deaths a lot sooner apart from God. All things work together for good. I remember back in Ambassador College, I don't think I've told you this, I might have said it once, but there was a student that I loved named Roy Priest. He was from Texas, as I remember, and he was just in his freshman year, but he had health problems. He had diabetes his diabetes, many of us have sort of incipient diabetes or weak diabetes. He had a pretty bad diabetes, but we didn't realize how bad. And all of a sudden, about halfway through the year, Roy Priest died. Here he was, only 18 or 19-year-old kid. It really hit me because I was new in the faith myself. I had graduated and was teaching, but I still, I was only 23 or 4 and, and only been ordained a year or so. And I just didn't understand, why did God let Roy Priest die? Years later, and I fasted and prayed about it too for three or four days, and then God began to bless me, he didn't heal Roy. But right after that, he began to bless me in ways I better not take time to describe. I had some magnificent trips and some other opportunities that most students never had. And maybe that was one reason, because I'd been crying out to God, and he blessed me in other ways. Years later, I mean 10 or 12 years later, I was preaching at the Feast of Tabernacles in Big Sandy. And this young woman came up, and she was maybe not that young by that time, maybe in her mid-30s. But she said, Mr. Meredith, you mentioned Roy Priest in your sermon and showed that you loved him. He was one of your students. She said, I'm Roy's older sister. And she said, I understand, and I want you to understand Roy's goal all his life was to go to Ambassador College, but he had a terrible, life-threatening case of diabetes. And we thought he was going to die three or four different times, but each time he seemed to rally, and he got to go to Ambassador College to fulfill his life's dream for whatever it was, five or six months. I remember it was in February or March before the Passover when he died. And that was such a blessing But she understood. She said he probably would never have made it to Ambassador College without God because the minister would anoint him and he'd get better. We'd pray for him and get better. He did fulfill his life's dream and he was so happy. And so God will bring him up in the resurrection. And unless God had chosen to completely heal him then or give him a whole new body, then he allowed him to die at that time. So that helped me to understand it a little bit better. And it helped her and helped others in that way too. And of course... I've mentioned other situations such as the split we had back in 1998 and several took off from us. And some of those who tried to destroy this church and split us back then are now trying to destroy one of the other churches of God and cause a split to come about. Some of those very people that's in their psyche, these carnal men who are rebels and they they caused us to split. And we had to start all over. They got control of the property. They got control of all of our equipment. 
And we didn't have anything. We had to work out of our homes for a while. And Mr. Carl McNair and his wife, I think his wife is here, but they came down from Oregon and we restarted the church administration department on our glass uh, breakfast table and our breakfast nook, nook. And they moved in with us for a couple of weeks until they could get an apartment. And we restarted the whole work right there in our breakfast table with Carl McNair and his wife. And then my wife was helping me and Carl, and then I, I went up in my little study. It didn't have a very big study, but I had a little study, and I did my work upstairs, and he did his downstairs, and we had to start the work all over again. Wasn't that terrible? Looking back, brethren, it was a real shock. It hurt me, but it was probably very good, because ever since those men left, we have had increasing love and warmth and unity and a family spirit in the ministry beyond what we've ever had before. It got rid of the bad eggs, so to speak. And now we have a peace, a unity. And God is now giving us more power and more growth than we have ever had. And even though it was bad, God causes all things to work together for good. Even bad things that are in the immediate sense bad, in the long run, they will work for good. If, of course, we love God and are called according to his purpose. So we have to think that through. And, of course, these tests are good, even the test of worldwide coming apart, because it sorts the men from the boys, so to speak. It's God's way of sorting things out and testing us. And that very testing process helps all of us learn lessons. Even those who failed the first test, so to speak, they can still repent and come back. They can still learn. They can still grow. They can still be part of the work if they want to. If they're willing to learn the lessons God wants them to learn. And God has to learn, teach every one of us lessons. I have to keep on learning lessons every day of my life. And you do too. And so all of us want to learn those lessons and then go through the trials and the tests in a, in a sense of faith and in a sense of rejoicing and thankfulness that we know our Father in heaven is fashioning us, molding us, working with us, and making us into the kind of people, making us into the kind of characters, making us into the kind of leaders that can lead cities and lead nations and teach them the way of God for all eternity, for all eternity. And looking back, it won't seem like a terrible test when it's all done at that time when it's all over with. But right now, of course, sometimes it seems like a terrible trial. When it's going right on. Turn with me back to Romans now, if you would, brethren. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to begin reading here in Romans 8. And I think it's verse 18. Romans 8. Here it says in verse 18, Paul writes... For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That magnificent glory, when you and I have a face shining like the sun, when our voice will be like Christ's voice, like the sound of rolling thunder, and all that kind of thing. We have that kind of power. We can't imagine the, the, the glory we will have if we're full sons of God, born of God at the resurrection. The trials are not worthy to even be compared with what we're going through today. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The whole world is in chaos. 
Over in the Congo, they're having mass rape as a weapon of war. They're having that women are being humiliated in whole nations of Africa, just and, and even little babies and little boys or some take, taken out away from their families and made to be little boy soldiers at age. You've seen it on TV and I have over and over age seven or eight. And all through the Middle East, people are being taught to hate America, hate the Jews, hate one another. The sons of, of, uh, uh, the bad guy back there with my stroke, I sometimes forget things that I didn't used to do, but the man there in the Bible, and of course his very name, uh, he was called a wild ass of a man. And that, that's what God said, that's the nature of that people. And they, they fight, they hate. If they don't fight us, they fight someone else. Our modern correct, politically correct society isn't able to figure that out. We here in America have been spoiled and we've been getting the blessings of Abraham, but what do we do? We have whole sex clubs where people rent a whole house and get there together, men and women and all this kind of thing. And we have homosexuals roaming all over, men kissing men and women kissing women and a sexual embrace and things that make God want to bomb it if he could bomb it and all that kind of thing. And God is beginning to shake this nation and bring us down because of the sins of our people. So God is allowing various people to suffer in various ways because of sin. And we want to really grasp the purpose in all of this, the creation in a sense of groaning and people are doing without food People are being tortured and suffering because of sin, the creation itself. And, of course, you know, I've described how all over, you know, this all over the nation. But one that example hit me because I read a series of articles about the beautiful trees out out east of of Los Angeles going up toward Lake Arrowhead and how they were dying. This goes back 12 to 20 years because the L.A. smog was moving out there, killing them, killing them, killing them. But the thousands, and it's not near as pretty out there as it used to be. And all over this nation, things are coming apart. Even the creation, the trees, the flowers, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, various species are dying off. So the creation is symbolically groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Sometimes people think you don't have liberty if you obey God. But wow, if we all obey God, then we would all have good marriages and we would all have good families. We wouldn't have to lock our door at night. There would be practically no income tax. We wouldn't have any policemen probably at all. We might have some middle-aged ladies whose husbands were working, and they would be the maybe the wardens there at the street corners ushering the little children across the street if people were still driving cars, all that kind of thing. But we wouldn't have any standing army. The world would be able to devote its resources to beautiful cities, beautiful parks and, and rivers and and uh, canals that were pure water going through the cities like they have in Europe and beautiful things all over the world because the, 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 the money, billions and trillions of dollars poured into the war effort would not have to be taken. It could be used to beautify our cities, to enrich our lives. What liberty we would have if we obeyed God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. 
So that's what's happening. Nations are suffering. People are suffering. Women and children often bear the brunt of it because of the rotten attitudes of these men who treat them like dogs in various parts of the world. And God doesn't like that. But he's allowing it to go on for a while to humble all of humanity so they finally are willing to turn to God and appreciate. Uh, And yet these things are building up ahead of steam and I know there's going to be a reaction. I was talking about these nations going down. My wife pointed out this article out of our local paper this morning. The Charlotte uh, Observer uh, today has this article on Brit's austerity plan has many bracing for pain. And it describes this man who just had a stroke. He was only 71 and he's crippled and doesn't know how he's going to be taken care of because they can't afford to keep him in the hospital and they're not helping him anymore. He can't walk. He can't shop on his own. How's he going to live? And it shows that all these services are being cut back all over Britain because they're broke. And, and Prime Minister David Cameron is cutting back on those things so they don't go bankrupt as a nation. It says near the end of the article here, he said, most of the cuts unveiled last month have yet to come into force. So far, a majority of Britain seem willing to accept the need for belt tightening. But, the article continues, that keep calm and carry on attitude could fade. If I can read this now. There is an, one man said there is an incredible sense of anger and it is building up said Lynn McCluskey, uh, a leader over there. So there is going to be an incredible sense of anger building up here in the United States as we go broke. The Terminator, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, has not been able to terminate the debt out in California. And they're having to cut back thousands of jobs from the fire departments and from the teachers and from all kinds of civil services. And they're going to begin to have you know, job riots and food riots and this and that all through that state and other states like that all across this nation. Again, brethren, when these bad things happen, we need to understand God is allowing it to teach us lessons. We have not obeyed our God. And our God said, I will break the pride of your power. And he shows us he will humble us so that we will turn to him those who are willing. So we have to see the big picture always and try in all these situations to learn every lesson that we can learn from these things. So I hope we can look beyond the immediate again and in all these situations that are coming and they're not going to come in 30 or 50 years. They're going to come within the next five or 10 years. Many of these things we've got to learn to see the big picture. Turn with me now, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Back near the end of your New Testament, as most of you know, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading here in verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, which he's been describing in chapter 11, the faith chapter, lay aside, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, Boy, sin does easily ensnare us, doesn't it? We can get in a bad attitude real quick. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Why was he able to do that, brethren? Again, because he 
kept his mind on the big picture. He could do it more than we can because he'd been with God. He had been in heaven surrounded by the four living creatures, the 24 elders, over 100 million angels in the sea of glass, angel choruses, magnificent beauty everywhere. He no doubt thought about that. I've got to go through this. This is nothing, nothing. Even as he was writhing on the cross, I'm going to make it. And he did make it. But we've got to have that big picture in our mind. He despised the shame, of course, because he could see what was ahead. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the magnificence he would have later back in the family of God with even additional titles as our Savior, our High Priest, our living head forever, knowing that all human beings would look to him then in a special way. He was willing to go through that, enduring the cross and despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. For you have not yet resisted unto bloodshed. And very few of us have been tortured or anything like that into bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortations which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Are you spanked? Are you chastened by God sometimes? I am. I don't always understand it at first, but usually God gets it through my thick skull. If things turn bad in a series of things that goes on, I can realize as I quickly try to think what's going on, that I've been not praying or not studying, or I've had vanity, jealousy, lust, or greed surging through my mind in a way that is not good, and God in one way or the other is shaking me and trying to get through to me and teach me a lesson. Again, please, brethren, try to think in a light, right way, what lesson can I learn from any trial I'm in? What lesson is there here for me? So don't despise the chastening of God, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't spank you. He scourges every son he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which we all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us. And we respected them. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits? He's the father, the one who made the spirit in man. The spirit essence joined with our human brain to help us understand spiritual things. And live for indeed for a few days, you know, comparatively speaking, for a few days they spanked us. They chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our prophet that we may be partakers of his holiness. His holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy, God tells us back in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. God tells us those things throughout the Bible. He is making us full sons of God. And so he has to work with us. He has to spank us in love. He has to rebuke and chasten us. He has to teach us lessons all along the way. And that's good for us. And if we rightly understand, as I said, we can even rejoice in that. It may not always be uh, just a a quick surface happy 
happiness, but it's still in our heart. We can realize God still loves us. <laughs> He's working with us and we'll learn this lesson and be thankful for that. He doesn't let us just drift off into nothing if he loves us. So he works with us all along the way. Now let's turn, brethren, back to the book of Psalms. Psalm 25 here. Psalm 25 and verse 4. Here it says, show me your ways. This is one of the psalms we sing, one of the songs. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me. God is teaching us. And David cried out, teach me your paths. We ought to ask God, teach me, work with me, fashion me, mold me, help me to learn every lesson you want me to learn and lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. That is our God who teaches us. He teaches us, trains us, works with us so we can have a glorified, magnificent spirit body forever as full sons of God in the resurrection. Back in Psalm 90, if you would turn there, Psalm 90 and beginning in verse 10, God says, we... The days of our lives are 70 years. See, we don't have a great long life in the flesh. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, and in my case it's got up to 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. If God intervenes and is spanking us, working us, shaking, everything goes wrong. We want to try to think, what lesson can we learn from this? Verse 12, so teach us, brethren, read this, think about this. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So God is working with us, and God in this psalm was actually a psalm of Moses. Moses wrote this one before David ever came along. So teach. God is the teacher. He's trying to teach you. He's trying to teach me. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To say, Father, let's quit playing games. Help me not to play games. Help me not just to drift over here and drift over that in my foolishness. But help me to be willing to really give my life to you in faith and courage and even thanksgiving. And learn every lesson you want me to learn. And really do it. Not just talk about it, but do it. So we want to pray to God that way. And he will bless us very much, I know, if we do. Let's turn back now, brethren, to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. And notice this very important psalm. Beginning with verse 10. The eternal brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. They're having all these great big conferences all over the world. Look, very important men all sitting around looking very impressive. What does God think of that? Well, he probably doesn't mind if they're trying to do the right thing, but most of them are just posing and using their carnal wisdom apart from God. He brings their counsel to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples to no effect. They're not going to bring about the world government that's going to save this world. Only the God of heaven through Jesus Christ will set up the world government. There's got to be a world government. And you and you and you and you are hopefully going to be part of that government. You're going to be instruments. 
You're going to be kings or priests and teachers in that government but to teach others the way of God with all your heart. I hope you can learn it. Really learn it now so you can teach it to others. Heartfeltly help others, serve others, build others, teach others. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen as his own inheritance. The ever-living one looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. Yes, he's looking down right now on this meeting today. From the place of his habitation, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Notice verse 15. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. God is fashioning my heart. God is fashioning your heart. Sometimes he has to spank us. Sometimes he has to shake us up. Sometimes he has to bring us to tears or bring us to sorrow to get us on our knees to where we're willing to cry out and say, I don't want my own will. Please forgive me for going my own way for a while. Help me. Clean me up, Father. Scrub me out. Make me like you are. But he's fashioning your heart and my heart individually so we can really be fit to be given a glorified spirit body that will live forever in the very family of God to where, brethren, we will interact. You and I, if we make it, will interact with God and with Christ, talk with them, share with them, make plans as to what's going to happen out on Pluto and Saturn and even billions of planets. They say there are more planets out there in the universe than there are human beings on Earth, far more. What's going to happen? We don't know, but the indication is of the increase of his kingdom, there is no end. He does say that. So we have a magnificent future, but we've got to be willing to go ahead in faith and courage and thanksgiving to really fulfill the purpose of our creator and to try to learn every single lesson that our father wants us to learn. I hope we can think about that big picture. That is the big picture, why we're here where we're headed, what it's all about. Let's turn back to Romans 8 now, brethren. Romans chapter 8 once again. And let's begin reading a little later, pick up with the last verse we had before, I think, and then carry on. Get a little bit of this tea here. I wonder if Mr. League fussed at the railroad company. They haven't been sending the train by very much during my sermon. Maybe they've repented. I hope so. (laughs) Maybe because it's Thanksgiving. Anyway, we could be thankful the train's not coming by as often. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 8. I think I finished here in verse 22. He said, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Nations are suffering. Families are suffering. People are suffering all over in various ways. Even the grass and the trees and the flowers and the birds and the fishes are suffering. And not only they, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. We're not born of God yet, but we have His Holy Spirit in us. But we're not composed yet of the Holy Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And I think most of you do. Father, please bring Christ soon. Please help me overcome my human nature. Please help us. We're down here and we're just not doing the way we would like to and send your son soon. God won't always send his son soon to solve all our problems right now. He lets us stay here for a while to learn. 
I think we understand that, but we often groan and ask for God to help us and to cut it short. And not only they, but we also have the first fruit of the Spirit grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. And the Greek word, as you know, means sonship, the sonship, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, the hope of becoming sons, sonship, full sons of the very God of creation. But hope that is seen is not hope. If you already see it, you already have it. You don't have to hope for it. For what does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And we need perseverance, brethren, as time goes on. And let me explain again, as I did, I think, just once. All, virtually all at least, better not say never or always or whatever, but nearly all the authorities I've ever studied on chronology admit that Although Archbishop Butler had the end of 6,000 years at, at 2000 A.D., which was 10 years ago, virtually all of them said, this, the books were written even back before 2000, that it could go 20 or 30 years either direction. Because when you have the accession years of the king, you don't know how many years were involved and how many months here and there down through 6,000 years. It could make quite a difference over a 6,000-year period. And there could be one other little mistake. Oh, this one little thing we got wrong by 20 years or something. So let's never give up on God. All the big things, as you know, we've talked about in this work, have happened or are happening or obviously going to happen. Mr. Armstrong talked about the great blessings of America. And, of course, they came about. We had all the Seagates. He said in Britain, as I've told you, in 54, even before my children were born, He said, you British people need to wake up and get to God and obey the God of the Bible or God will take away your power and there will be no more British Empire. And I saw that happen. He mentioned specifically the Seagates. He didn't mention all of them, as I sometimes do, but he did mention the Suez Canal and the Panama Canal and maybe one or or two others. And they're gone. Every major Seagate that we've been given is gone except the Falkland Islands of Gibraltar. And you watch. At least one of them will no doubt go in the next few years. <laughs> They're going. Going, going, gone. He talked about in the 70s, the Berlin Wall coming down and the ger- ger- true Germanys coming together <clears throat> and the Eastern European nations breaking free. No one else was doing that. He was because he was the true servant of God. Did he make mistakes? Yes. He made mistakes, as we all do, but he did try to fear God and teach his truth. And God allowed him to understand those things. All the other big things he's talked about, breaking the pride of our power, bringing us down. All those things are happening right now to our peoples and our great financial crises are all occurring as a part of that. So we know that these things are real and we do need to have perseverance even though time goes on. Not give up and quit. Not say the Lord delays his coming. Not ever talk like that. But know that God is God and he is all powerful. He's in charge of the universe in his right time. He will intervene and he will intervene powerfully. So let's understand and cry out to God. Likewise, the Spirit also helps with our weaknesses. Verse 26, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray. 
Sometimes, brethren, I get down on my knees, and if I can't pray very much, I'll say, Father, help me to pray. Help me to pray. I don't do that very often anymore because I've been able to know God longer than most of you, but I've done that quite a number of times in years past. And God will help you even as you pray. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession. Who is that Spirit? The mind of the Spirit is Jesus Christ. He is the intercessor. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together. Here's that passage, Romans 8, 28, one of the best verses in the Bible, so to speak. All things work together for good. To who? Some people in the outside world just say, oh, all things work together. They don't read the rest of the verse. All things work together for those who love God. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, plural. First John 5, 3. That's what the love of God is. We've got to understand what it is for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And some of the people that don't keep the commandments, in fact, of course, virtually all of them, God has not yet called them. He will call them. And when he calls them, some of them may turn out to be better Christians than we are because he's calling the weak of the world now. So let's do the best we can. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to be totally like Christ with his face blazing like the sun, that he might be what? Christ, the firstborn among many brethren. We will be full sons of God, just like Christ is a full son of God. And so we'll be able to actually sit down and talk with Jesus and talk with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and discuss plans and activities for the universe. That's going to be an exciting thing to look forward to when you think about it. That's very real. We will interact with God and with Christ, just like a father and son interact and talk things over. For whom he foreknew, well, he predestinated Uh, that uh, he might be the firstborn. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, he also uh, justified, and whom he justified, these also whom he glorified. So in God's plan, he has glorified us. And that's really wonderful when we understand that. In his purpose, he has glorified us. Brethren, God has made us in his image for a magnificent purpose. And we really want to understand that purpose and respond to that and keep our minds on the big picture because God is working with us for something far beyond what we can understand. Let's go on. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Are we going to be persecuted, this church? Yes. Are you individually going to have trials and tests? Yes. But what's beyond that? What's the big picture? The great God who's called you out of this world to know him, to really know him, to obey him, to serve him, and be a full son in the kingdom of God. What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Eventually, as we know, the universe... Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? 
uh, it is Christ who died and, and uh, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Christ is the intercessor. He prays to God for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can someone separate you and me from Christ's love as long as we still try to love him? Not perfectly, but try to do our part. Who's able to do that? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril, sword, as it is written? For your sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. With Christ in us we overcome. We vanquish the enemy. We are winners through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come. He says even things to come. As I've said, what if they would strap you or me in some space vehicle or some rocket and say, you turn away from God Or look at this great big fiery engine underneath. The rocket's already starting to shake. And we'll send you 10,000 miles out in space. And you'll never be close to the earth again. That's too far for God to reach out and get you, isn't it? (laughs) I put it that way. Because, of course, it isn't. 10,000 miles out in space is just like, you know, like my, like this is the world. And this is outer space. And here's the whole rest of the universe a million times over. Not too far for God to get you. Nothing is too hard for God. You don't need to be frightened by anything present or anything that is to come. It doesn't make any difference if you're a child of God. He will never leave you nor forsake you, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So keep your mind on that big picture. Be thankful Very thankful. You are one of the few called out ones in this age to know the great purpose that God is working out here below. To become a full son of God and go thankfully and faithfully through the trials and the tests. Knowing that the sufferings of this time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us in God's time.